I think that's why we were brothers, because you did too. No matter where you are in this world, whether it's a quarter mile away or halfway across the world, the most important thing in life will always be the people in this room, right here, right now. Salute mi familia. You'll always be with me. And you always be my brothers. This is Top Ten Thursdays with us, Sean Lemmy. John Anthony. Call of Westwood. And the spirit of Brian Walker. Just mixed Paul Walker's name with his character, <laughs> Brian, from the Fast and the Furious movies. <laughs> Off to a good start, guys. I knew what you meant. Because I, I don't remember that character's last name. I wasn't sure what you were doing at first. It's like, oh, he's doing Rock, he's doing uh, Sylvester Stallone in Rocky or Creed. And I'm like, oh no, he's doing Sicario, right? But he's Del Toro. <laughs> <laughs> you had this low timber to it, and it's very like serious. The thing is, my usual um, Vin Diesel impression probably would be impossible to understand, <laughs> and that's a bad way to start a podcast. <laughs> I knew you were doing Diesel the whole time. I mean, you started with the quarter mile at a time thing, but... Yeah. That's what Fast and Furious is all about. I'm very surprised that that movie didn't even get, like, an honorable mention or get get even anywhere near your top ten list. There were so many good movies in 2015. <clears throat> it it yeah. was uh, a real dilemma. I don't like that movie with Kevin James. Paul did that, did that make it? Mall Cop 2? About him. <laughs> I was Trying reading a little bit a of the summary of that movie, him. and it, he has a lot of like real-life fat problems. Like, he fails out of his police academy tryout because he has, like, hypoglycemia. It's not fun, fat problems. We're taking your football, Blart. He replaces it with one of those scooter things. Oh my god, do you think if they make another Paul Blart, they're going to use the hoverboards? I mean, they already use Segways, so how could they not? <laughs> they're probably going to make it just because that thing's popular now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are uh, now into 2016 a fair bit, and uh, it's time to do our very last top 10 of 2015 as we count down our top 10 movies of the year uh, if you've checked out our blog you'll see that uh, myself, Colin and John have each posted our individual top 10s and what I've done is taken all those movies and put them into a spreadsheet we're gonna talk about the uh, 
the 20 movies that were on our three top tens and try to put them into an overall order. Should be a fun challenge for all of us, although it sounds really boring when you hear me describe it. <laughs> Should have said it like Vin Diesel. Should have said it like Brian Walker, Sean. You have to put the movies into an order. Was that it? I I feel like just he just condenses every thought he has into just like three word sentences. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, but <laughs> I would like to hear you just like describe each movie as Vin Diesel the way he would. Alright, well, I'll see if I can remember to do that more than once, but, uh... First movie on our list is Anomalisa. It's about a sad puppet. That's true. They are puppets. They're great, too. Um, I like that weird line they have on their face for when, like, they replace heads, I guess? Yeah, they just left that. Because it's weird when you go into this movie because you think, well, why is this like puppets? Like, this is like, it's like a normal movie. It's just like some guy who's like, like a, a customer service expert. He's like going to do some conference in, in, in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. But then, like, it kind of unfolds and you, like, you understand, like, oh, that's why they're doing that. That's why Tom Noonan is the voice of every character but uh, the main character and Lisa. Mm-hmm. And then it all makes perfect sense. And you're like, well, it has to be that way. It has to be puppets. It has to be Tom Noonan doing everybody. Um, the only reason it wasn't like higher mileage, this movie is also a huge downer. So, I don't know. Do you, do you think it would be even more of a downer if it didn't star puppets? Because <laughs> at least puppets are kind of fun. Hmm. You know, the puppets add, like, a hint of, like, kind of scary, because they're just, there's, you know, there's something unnatural about not watching a person. So, I'd say the puppets, I guess, guess make it sadder. They they do have kind of a blank (laughs) emptiness when you're just, like, looking at those puppets going through the same existential shit that we humans do. I mean, they look great. The animation's great. David Thewlis and, uh... Jeffrey Jason Lee and Tom Noonan are all good. I mean, it's Charlie Kaufman. It, it you know, it's, it's funny watching this. It's like you understand why he can't get that many movie, movies made, but God, you wish he could because they're so interesting. He's such an amazing writer. And it's always so personal, right? Like every time you see a Charlie Kaufman movie, you have to think like, well, this is the problem he's trying to deal with right now. I mean, especially since Adaptation, where it's, like, literally about him writing a script. (laughs) I really hope he doesn't hear all people as the same person because of his own insecurities and everything, because that would be the saddest thing ever. (laughs) Well, I mean, he probably doesn't literally do that, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was feeling that kind of isolation of, like, everyone else has stuff figured out. Everyone else is happy. Why am I alone? Why is no one like me? I don't doubt I'm, at all that that's how he feels. I mean, I, like, I honestly feel that way a lot of times where I'm just like, 
why are so many people in this world so boring? Why can't I find someone who has, like, interesting stuff to say? And then every once in a while, you find someone. It's like, it does, it does feel like that. It's a, a new voice in a sea of boring Tom Noonan voices. <laughs> I get it. He's def- <laughs> it's definitely the most boring voice you could have got out there. They did a good job there. Um, my favorite Tom Noonan character being the cab driver. Who's like, you, you gotta have time for the zoo. You can do that in like a day. And then later you see Michael Stone looking at his window and there's like a big billboard with the cab driver on it saying like, you, you gotta check out the zoo. It's zoo sized. It's zoo sized. That's it. Those little like nice attentions to detail and like throwbacks and everything. It really just seems really well thought out. I guess the reason it didn't make my list was, first of all, I saw the movie about three hours before I started writing my list. <laughs> which not, not a lot of time to let sink in. Yeah. But um I don't just the ending of the movie was such a kind of frustrating downer for me where like I wanted more of an epiphany and it felt like he was almost getting to one and it just never happened. Um which is fine. Because it definitely has an ending that works. It just wasn't wasn't what I needed out of that movie. And in a year they're so jam-packed with films I liked, that gave me reason enough to, to give it the old bump. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Like, I definitely, like, watched that. And I was, at first I was definitely bummed. Because I'm like, oh, man, it's like he just kind of falls back into the same rut. But I was thinking, you know, that guy's kind of also an asshole, though. Oh, he totally. Also, he also kind of deserves it if that's going to be his, his outlook on life. Yeah, you know it's not that bad. I mean, it is sometimes, and that's the kind of the interesting thing about it. It makes you think about both sides. I think at first you'll be bummed out, but then later you're like, you know what? That guy was kind of an asshole. <laughs> Speaking of assholes, how about the Big Short, you guys? Asshole City, USA. <laughs> <The> original title. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. You guys sell me on it. Tell me on why I should see it. I want to. All right. Remember how the economy fell apart? Oh, yeah. Did you, like, understand what was going on? No. <laughs> Do you, like, want to watch a documentary about it? Maybe. Or would you rather the guy who made all the good Will Ferrell movies make a movie about it? That could be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Then you just might like the big short. Um, it is Adam McKay's not only his first non-comedy, his first non-Will Ferrell movie, uh, unless you count a few that he's written but not directed. Um, and it focuses on these three groups of people who were able to make a ton of money because of the housing crisis and the eventual I think we call it the economic downturn of 2008 um, and what's amazing about the movie is that guys becoming really rich because the US economy failing should be the villains in a movie sounds like it but the big short shows how these institutions and these bankers and the government and even us the regular people are really to blame for everything 
and these guys that are making a ton of money are the only ones that actually saw the problem and tried to do something about it even though what they did was a selfish thing and it's just got some uh, fun stylistic choices to keep you interested the whole way around like like every character is played by a, a fun charismatic actor stud it's ever Steve Carell Except for Steve Carell, which is important because he's got to be the moral center of the movie. Who's the who's the best character or most interesting? Is there one, or is it that I, much I of an ensemble? I think I thought piece? Steve Carell was the most interesting. Yeah, just just because he yeah because he he was the most conflicted about the whole thing. Like he knew, like there's that moment where he realizes that he's going to make a ton of money off of this thing, but he's also just like feels terrible because it means that the whole u.s economy is gonna collapse and uh you know it's kind of the crux of that character yeah i like the the first like 15 minutes or so i I felt a little annoyed by how like stylistically busy the movie was but then uh after a while i was like oh yeah this is the only way (laughs) they can tell this story is by constantly breaking the fourth wall and trying to inform a a dummy like me about all these stock market terms and then i was like yeah all right i'm like learning something and having fun yeah yeah really my only problem with the movie was i i feel like they went a little too easy on americans which they probably had to do because they were they're trying to appeal to them um, but like there's the stripper who's like I own five houses and they're kind of just like what instead of going fully into like why are you so greedy why do you think you need this it, is this really you thought this would work this is okay but I mean that's fine I guess that's just outside of the scope of what Adam McKay was trying to accomplish here and he accomplished a lot like Todd Haynes did with Carol. I don't know. This is not a super flashy movie, and I don't. I don't know why exactly I responded to this movie. I guess for some reason, just like the look of it was really cool to me because I I didn't feel like I was inhabiting a, a typical period piece. Maybe because it was shot on sixteen millimeter. And there are all these tiny little touches that seem so, like, specific to that time. Like, just that first scene in the department store where you see all these weird knickknacks hanging around. And, uh, again, it's it's one of those roles where Kate Blanchett just totally disappears into the role and is just like, oh, you get it from the first moment you see Rooney Mara laying eyes on her. You're like, yeah, you want to be around this lady. She's super cool and charming and mysterious and you want to get to know her and I don't know I just liked being sort of lost in in this unique little vision of the early 50s I think that's what I liked about it too is just getting this kind of what feels very authentic kind of um, I don't know exploration of that era and then the people that had to like and pretend to be other things during like a really superficial era. It's just it's not really that complex of a movie, at least not as complex as I thought. 
And it wasn't as sad as I thought it would be, which was good, thank God, because I could not have taken it if it gotten too dark. Well, yeah, I think that's maybe the the great accomplishment of Carol is that it's a, you know, period piece lesbian romance that isn't just a tragedy that still is able to say, you know, hey, society may suck at this point and still today, but at the very least, these are two people that found each other and that's beautiful. That's a good thing. It's not all bad. One thing I don't understand is what the hell kind of name is Harge? Sweet, manly name. Harge. All My American. name is Harge. Harge. That was like the first thing I said after I saw that movie to show. I was like, Harge is the most manly name. Because it's like huge and Sarge and large. It's like huge and large. Yeah. All, all combined into one name. Yeah, I didn't think about it like that. In, in a word, the the perfect character for Kyle Chandler to play. Yeah, he's almost like an Adonis, like Adonis Creed, the main character in Creed. Yeah. Except, you know, Adonis is a good guy. I guess he has his unlikable moments, but you, you mainly like him, I think. Did you end up getting around to Creed, J-Dog? Yes. Did you like it as a Rocky I did, fan? I, I did like it as a Rocky fan. I think it did a great job of kind of capturing the excitement of the fights, but also doing a great job of kind of like capturing like the 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 streets and like how like difficult boxing is on these people's lives and like the physical and emotional toll it takes on them. I think people forget about that. Even in some of the dumb Rockies, you know, it's like he's. It's still like a, it's about these people that come from these like these tough backgrounds and prove you know everyone wrong and I think this did a great job of kind of recapturing and rekindling the, the spirit of the original Rocky and some of the other ones without feeling like like a straight for straight remake or something or it, they didn't do like a straight up like we're gonna do the exact same montage again with the same music we're gonna mix things up and make it extra weird by throwing in a bunch of dudes on motorcycles and ATVs. That part was cool, though. Wasn't that part yeah, cool? Yeah, it was cool. But <laughs> that was a good it's, part. It's another one of those moments where, like, I, I bet if I saw this without the music, it would be super weird. <laughs> <laughs> Why are they chasing the no. guy? I think it'd still be cool. It was a good shot. Stallone. Yeah, they, they were serious about getting that Philly flavor in this movie, and I don't know if that's, like, real Philly stuff. But it looked like, yeah. It, yeah cheesesteaks. Even me. I know cheesesteaks. They're doing cheese the stuff steaks. that, like, those one. I remember one shot. It's just like it cuts to like a huge banner of the Eagles. I'm like, yeah, this is for for Philly. This is proud respect. This is for Philly. How about the fight at the end? Did you enjoy the fight? I enjoyed the fight at the end a lot, but the fight in the middle was the highlight for me. The one that's in one long take. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Oh yeah, they do a whole fight, a whole boxing match in one take, or you know, it's edited to appear as one take. Who knows how they really did it? Blah 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 blah. Uh, it's really cool. Wow, he's fighting uh, Rocky's gym, like the number one guy from it. That's awesome. I don't care about boxing at all in real life. Like, it's 
It's not something I could it's ever boring to when watch. You watch it on TV. But it's so fun in these franchise. Like every single Rocky movie makes it really great, and Creed elevates the realism of it while maintaining the fun from the rest of the franchise. It's pretty cool. And you're really never sure who's going to win. It's never been one of those series where it's like, oh, well, clearly so-and-so is going to win this time. Mm-hmm. You're never really sure. Yeah. I think it's just because the first Rocky set the precedent. Well, it's like, well, he doesn't have to technically win for it to be a good movie and for him to learn something. So who knows where this is going. It's like you just got to understand there are many different ways to win. That's a good tagline. I hope that's the tagline. <laughs> you got to understand there's many different ways to win. It's a mouthful, but it's good. Would you want to see a sequel to this movie? I think the more important question is, would you want to see a sequel to this movie with Sylvester Stallone continuing to play a major role in it? Because I think based on the success of it, it's inevitable that there's going to be one. So what direction do they take it in? Do they keep like making it like it's a Rocky thing, or do they pretend it's a whole new franchise? Is like do they call it Creed Two? That's I don't know. I feel like they would. My guess would be that Rocky would die in the next one. He came pretty close in this one. I thought they might kill him. He's come point. so close so many times. Yeah. I was pretty surprised he lived. I'm glad he lived. Honestly, I don't want them to do another one, but if they do do another one, I I guess I don't know what to do with Stallone. That's a, that's a tough question. If he wins an Oscar, they'll definitely bring him back. Well, and you would just be weighing Adonis down with so much tragedy for like his dad to already be dead, and then his surrogate father dies, and then his girlfriend goes deaf because they they like there wasn't a cure for that. That was an inevitability. So, like, that's going to be a hard time. There's, like, a surprising amount of death in this series. Everybody dies. Life's even, rough. Even Paulie died. Yeah, but that doesn't surprise me. He looked like shit. <laughs> I guess it's more surprising that he lived so long. Yeah, this is the first one where he's been dead. I don't know. Maybe they can pass off Creed to uh, Clubber Lang. <laughs> if you think Mr. T's up to that acting performance. What does that mean? Like he's going to be his coach? Man. No, he's going to have a young, angry son who shows up to Creed's first press conference. Clubber Lang Jr. <laughs> you're not the champ, you're a chump! <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I'm, Look at that guy from the A-Team. <laughs> yeah. The Wasn't newer one. Guy like a... Austin Rampage Jackson. That's a good name. Right? <coughs> you should just use that name. Yeah, just, yeah. Just call him Rampage. Rampage Lang. <laughs> or Bang Bang Lang. <laughs> See, we're already off to a great start. And it's got to be another country like it always is. <sighs> or like on a boat out at sea. Yeah. And we're not we're making it bad. <laughs> no. Maritime law, man. It's like an in international waters. So yeah. It's like 
you could, you could kill him if you want. Strap knives to your boxing gloves. I could kill you if I want to. <laughs> and I just might. Ding, Basically, ding. we need this Creed sequel to be a uh, backdoor Street Fighter soft reboot. Nice. <laughs> In fact, let's just make the villain Balrog. Or Mike Bison, if you prefer. <laughs> I do prefer. <laughs> One of the movies I preferred this year was The End of the Tour. I did put it on my list, but I still you preferred prefer, it. You preferred it. Like the week we saw it, you probably preferred seeing it over. I don't know, like like Pixels. Vacation. Vacation. No. One of those great comedies to come out this summer. Yeah. But I don't know. This is a pick where I do have to wonder if I liked it so much because I was getting into David Foster Wallace this year and then did end up reading Infinite Jest. But I think I would have liked it regardless because like, when I watched this movie again for a second time after having read all of Infinite Jest, it didn't didn't really (laughs) change that much having read the book even though they do talk about the book a lot, but I feel like, you know, there's so much good stuff just within the conversations of these two characters, uh, played by Jesse Eisenberg and Jason Siegel, uh, just talking about, you know, just the life of a writer and trying to make sense of where they are at these different points in their careers and just fun hanging out with these guys, listen to them have smart conversations that don't like I feel like it's hard to make smart dialogue that isn't like super pretentious sounding or it sounds just like overtly mannered like Aaron Sorkin dialogue tends to sound which probably comes from the fact that a lot of the dialogue came from the actual tapes of the conversations these guys had and that was cool Anyways, I feel like this movie's mostly forgotten for some reason. But I liked it. Yeah, Would it gotta have... give props to Jason Siegel, man. Yeah. He could have gotten an Oscar nomination. Yeah. He could have deserved it. Would it have been better had they switched roles? <laughs> no. Because... <laughs> I feel like the thing about David Foster Wallace is he, like in all the interviews I've seen with him, he, he's he's both very smart, but also like he comes off as a nice sort of Midwestern guy that's like not trying to impress you. He's just, just trying to be a, I don't know, a nice guy, which is hard for Jesse Eisenberg. He always just comes up as kind of a dick. Yeah, he's fucking Lex Luthor, man. Yeah, the ultimate dick. You're not gonna get Jason Siegel's Lex Luthor. He's like, "Oh, hey, how you guys doing?" Yeah, but that's like a good twist. It's like, oh, he's Lex Luthor. <laughs> Pulled off the wig. <laughs> he's so nice. Did you read uh, the David Lipsky book that this is based on? No. You gotta know this movie con from every conceivable angle. <laughs> yeah, I gotta know just every little. Thing about it. You want you want you want to know my truth? What's your truth? <laughs> I was really hoping this would be about like 
two guys kind of like falling in love with each other like they really get each other mm-hmm. and this was kind of the opposite of like they kind of resent each other by the end of this even though they understand each other a lot better mm-hmm. and, and that just made me sad uh, I think it's I don't know if it's either of those two extremes I feel like it's kind of in the middle where it's like they are kind of prickly towards each other and they also have these moments of bonding but for some reason there is this sort of competitive nature to their relationship where they can't quite get that close to each other I don't know I feel like it's a complex relationship even though it only takes place over the course of like three days well there's that scene at the end where he gets the letter from David Foster Wallace right and he's like oh my god he read my book he's gonna give me notes like we have a real relationship mutual respect and it's just like oh you left your shoe or whatever here's your shoe back mm-hmm. and he's like oh oh he doesn't give a shit about my writing <laughs> and then it's like oh they don't love each other but that's okay not every love story works out. Would you call Ex Machina a love story? A love story that doesn't work out, absolutely. Very one-sided. Of course, that's a spoiler, but... Yeah. You don't know what side it's on. Hmm? Of course. Mm-hmm. You don't. It's on the side of the dance floor. So, this was Alex Garland's directorial debut. And... I mean, he's already established himself as a great science fiction writer with stuff like Sunshine. Eh, you may be able to call 28 Days Later. That's kind of like, that's kind of sci-fi. He adapted Never Let Me Go. He did Dread. And this is like, what surprised me about this is it's so restrained, but it's also like, he really gets into the, I feel like the, the technical aspect of it and the philosophy of it. He takes a very, um, just kind of, I don't know if I'd say laid back, but delicate approach to it. And it's funny for someone who's like known for being such a great writer that he'll do a lot of stuff that's like it's more visual than anything. Like the opening of the movie when Dom Hall Gleason realizes he won this this chance to go to this house and basically meet who would you say um, Oscar Isaac is the equivalent to if you had to make up to like a real life businessman? Is there one? Is he like? future Steve Jobs. I don't know. He's just like kind of an eccentric like millionaire. Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban. He's the Mark Cuban of the future. But like that opening scene, like there's no dialogue when he, he realizes he wins this thing. He just like sees it on his computer at his job and then he just gets an helicopter and goes. And I just, I like respected that. It's like, you know, it's funny. You know, he's, he's, he's known for being a writer, but like he knows that visual storytelling can be the strongest. So he'll use that when he needs to. And, and speaking also... of visuals... Yeah. I would say that that approach also helps set up the tension kind of in the middle of the movie where you're not sure who's human and who isn't. When you see so little of his life beforehand, except that like he's in a cubicle, it's very easy to ask yourself, well, is that real or was that just an implanted memory? Because like, there are so few details. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a downer, another downer. A lot of those on this list, but that's okay because I feel like that ending I definitely did not see coming. It definitely kind of left me a little disturbed and left me thinking. And that's a good thing 
um, you know, helps us reevaluate our, I guess, relationships with like technology and where it could go and everything. And yeah, and it just looked like really beautiful and like it was kind of creepy. It's almost kind of like a horror movie a little bit. And I'm really excited to see where Alex Garland's career goes from here. I saw he signed on to write and direct an adaptation of the book Annihilation, which I have actually read, not even knowing he was going to do a movie of it. And that would be awesome because that's a story about like a group of four women going into this, um, like it's in the future and going to this place called like the X Zone, where like all these past <laughs> research teams have gone. And it's like this weird kind of jungle-like place, and they just go and they just die, and they don't know why they're going, what's happening to them in there. And I think it it's perfectly suited for his style. Um, I don't think he's ever done anything bad, and I don't see how that could be bad. So he's just like the best guy. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think he absolutely proved himself uh, with this movie because like the performances are great, the direction seems good. Like it's it's a very beautiful movie to look at. Like he said, the the set that it mostly takes place on this like remote mountain future base looks awesome it's this great nature versus technology uh competition is like shown in the very set itself it's, it's awesome i didn't hate anything about it this like and the hateful eight because it has hate in the title we got to see it in 70 millimeter wasn't that a treat and we got a nice little program and and it, Tim Roth it, it looked centerfold. it looked what that centerfold the centerfold of Tim Roth I don't, yeah. what's anyone going to do with that mm, yeah I'm sure that's hanging on like some dorm room wall somewhere like creased maybe some like film student or something it's like I saw this in 70 millimeter I don't know what that means <laughs> but I like Reservoir Dogs this guy's in that movie man but like from the opening shot I'm like I think I'm gonna like this with that weird carving or whatever it was on the cross yeah Jesus that's such an amazing yeah I couldn't tell if it was it looked like at first it looked like a weird tree but then you're like oh it's probably some weird like sculpture oh man but that it's just like showing off like the beautiful cinematography and the, the big ass picture and you're like okay this is gonna be an epic experience and it's funny because like so much of the movie is talking yet it still feels very appropriate to be on this big scale and to be so long it is interesting it feels to right. think like <laughs> Like, I wonder how big that cabin would feel if you walked into it. Because it feels kind of huge <laughs> when you think about it just from watching that movie. But, but it's, like, it's got like a table, a couple chairs, and a couple beds. Like a fireplace. I mean, and it, it definitely works in like building mood. I'm sure you'll hear in plenty of crappy film student papers about how the, like, the, the spaces in between the characters creates the sense of isolation between them, you know? Like that's kind of dumb. But that's probably kind of true, you know, because it's it's very much like a, like a movie about like paranoia and who can you trust, and having them in this desolate location and this all sitting like really far apart. Like and it really sets a mood. Yeah, and if you want to use another film school term, the uh, mise en scène is 
is great. Every everything is full of de- like the chairs are covered with blankets, and at one point they like pull the blankets off. And he's like, oh, that's like a woven blanket, and that's like a pelt, and that one's like probably from native like a, a Native American or something. Like he knew that if he's going to do this dialogue in basically one set movie, you have to make that set super interesting. You have to shoot it in a really compelling way and you have to have fantastic dialogue and it being Tarantino that all clicked in but how, how do you guys feel about the the ending um, it's definitely gross it's kind of it's kind of like hokey to see two guys just like covered in blood and basically you're in your death somehow managing to hang someone while sitting on a bed. It's pretty ridiculous, but I don't know. It it felt right to the characters. Like It felt like, okay, that feels like knowing what they're like. I can imagine them doing that. I don't know if I agree with it, but I mean, these are all bad guys, so I was good with it later. I was probably initially like, ugh, gross, these guys are terrible, ugh, I hate everything. <laughs> Everyone's so bad. <laughs> Cause that that's was... kind of my initial reaction walking out. I was like, "Ew!" Now it's just like, "Oh, they're friends." <laughs> <laughs> the racist guy and the black guy became friends in the end. Whoops, spoiler. <laughs> but maybe After not. What I said, like my thing was most, Maybe not because most <laughs> of the guys are kind of racist. Even the ones that aren't racist are racist. Well, I know. This is the way it was back then. Yeah, but Samuel Jackson, he starts his dominance. He's a badass. He's my favorite character in the movie. That monologue about what he did to Bruce Stern's son is so good. And then, Sean, yeah. you bring up right before we started the podcast that weird part where, like, he's speaking in slow motion. Why did they do that? <laughs> it's so good. It's so funny. And with this one part of the movie, he just goes... You're gonna make a deal with this diabolical bitch, and it's in slow motion. It's an insane choice to make because it's it's almost like Tarantino's ta- taunting you with like you think this movie's long. I could make it longer, but just like drawing just out let, suspense. Just let everyone talk in slow motion for the rest of the movie. But it's such a funny line. It's such a great line read by Samuel Jackson that I'm all about it. Just seeing someone say diabolical bitch in slow motion is, is good. <laughs> Probably worth the price of admission right there. Another movie that was worth the price of admission is Inside Out. I mean, okay. it was only an hour and a half, though, so I was like, did I really get my <laughs> money's worth? Yeah, no one even I... puked blood. That short sucked. Yeah. The lava one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how come no one's saying it? Yeah, I wasn't really a fan of lava either. But Inside Out, very good. One of their best. It's funny because there's a period of time where I was like, man, they're not like trying stuff that's like as conceptually bold anymore. And then it's like they go ahead and do their most like bold like concept yet. Like one that like I feel like you could not explain this to like someone like if someone had no idea what this movie was and you tried to explain it to them it's like your kids will like it they'd be like you are crazy 
Yeah, this is definitely one where I watch where I was like, I don't know if kids would, like, get this. <laughs> like, would they understand what the movie's trying to say about, you know, emotions, the, the inner workings of a child's mind? I don't know, but, you know, at least it's colorful. Kids like colors. Yeah, it stars two of the minor characters from The Office. Kids love that. Mm-hmm. Do you guys see that online version where someone edited out all the inside parts? I did. That was like a moment. I was really in, like on Reddit. Someone was like, could someone do this? And this guy was like, I can't do this. And everyone was like, <laughs> is he going to do it? And he did it. <laughs> Except he did a really shitty job. There's a lot of like horrible jump cuts you can't get around. Yeah. Well, he didn't try. He just like <laughs> put all the scenes in order. Yeah, it's funny. I was like, "Say like, wasn't that so interesting?" But it's like, well, didn't that suck? <laughs> it just shows how, like, yeah. Go ahead. I would say it is interesting because watching it on its own, you see that there actually is an arc, and like, there is a very short, not super interesting movie about a kid moving <laughs> to a new town and hating it and then accepting it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this it wouldn't be on the list if it was just that movie. It's the uh, the other movies that people really like, right? And I think it, it but it, it does like show like, wow, these films are so tightly plotted and so thought out that you have to have every single component. I mean, it's it still kind of worked, but yeah, it's like with everything together, it's so perfect. And it's like it's it can't be easy getting there especially with a movie like this like i was reading about how they had so many other emotions that they're trying to work with like until they you know dialed it down to the five they had can you imagine like settling on disgust how many other ones you'd probably have to cycle through like a lot yeah i don't remember anymore but yeah i think i remember reading probably the same thing you read where the psychologists they were working with originally theorized that there were like seven or maybe nine core emotions and they were like mm, that's too many I guess but I mean you had to make room for Bing Bong so I didn't like Bing Bong I, I, I understood his place in it and I do think his part where he spoiler alert sacrifices himself was pretty good but god it's kind of fucking annoying oh my god John I feel like... John, you're challenging a Richard Kind role. I feel like Richard... They're trying to make Richard Kind like the Dom DeLuise of this era as a voice actor. Doesn't that feel like a Dom DeLuise character? Yeah. No, there's anything wrong with that. Just say it. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Bing Bong was okay. He, he needed to be in the movie, though. He died. So sad. Richard Kind is a national treasure. No, Sean, you just said that and it's going to kill him. I think all roles should go to Richard Kind <laughs> until he dies. He should get to play whatever he wants. Well, I think you'll be glad to hear he's in Cars 3, which I guess he was already in Cars 2, so never mind. And Cars 1 <laughs> as Van. Uh. <laughs> That's his name? Just Van? Just Van. I hope he's like a bike. That'd be funny. You know, I hope he is a lobster. <laughs> That's what Colin Farrell wants to be in the lobster. Wait, he uh, wants movie. to be a lobster? Yes, actually. Kind of. Um, 
So let me explain this because nobody saw it. I pretty much only played at festivals. Don't ask me how I saw it because I don't want the government to come after me. <laughs> but um, basically, it's kind of like the future maybe where everyone has to like have a significant other. And Confrill like, lost his wife like a little while back. So he has to go to this kind of like a hotel. And you have 45 days to hook up. You know, find a mate and move on with your life, or you get to, or they turn you into an animal, and it's an animal of your choice. And he goes with the lobster because um, they actually like live a long time. He likes the ocean, and they're like sexually active their whole lives. <laughs> this reason. <laughs> um, do people still eat lobsters in this universe? Ah, uh, yes. You know, it's funny, there's so much about this movie, too. Like, you're never really sure. It's like, are they actually turning them into animals? Like, what's really going on at this place? And it's a very unusual movie. And it's very, like, it's funny in a lot of spots, but it's also incredibly disturbing. Like, they don't let you, like, masturbate. And if you do, like, they do bad things to you. And they, like, torture you for all sorts of stuff. And stylistically, I think I described it. I was talking to you guys recently. That's like Nightmare Wes Anderson. It kind of has his like the shots are kind of set up in a way he'd set up his shots. And even how the characters talk, they talk in this very like weird blunt way, like that people don't really talk. And um, it's it's like kind of emotionless sometimes. And there's also some narration, and it, it's interesting because it's at first it's by a character you don't see, and then that character shows up later, and that's really interesting. So there's a lot of different things going on here. And this is a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. He's a Greek director, and he made Dogtooth, which I also recommend. I think that was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film the year it came out. Uh, Lobster was his English-language debut, though. Colin Farrell, he's great. It's it's crazy to think there's a time where he's doing movies like SWAT and like Miami Vice because he's so much more than that. Like he got, he's kind of tubby in this. He's got a mustache, and he's great. I hear it almost starred um, Jason Clark, which would have been so boring. I'm so glad that didn't happen. <laughs> you don't believe in Jason Clark? <laughs> I think he would have been fine, but I think Colin Farrell's more interesting. Um, and just if you guys are curious, he's doing American accent. He's doing a good job. Oh. So and there's some. There's a good in the old U.S. of A. It's not. Some people kind of speak with an English accent. It again, you don't know really where it is. You don't know what time it is. Yeah, Hunger Games. It's, it's kind of. I guess you know. If you've, that's something. I don't. I don't think it's for everybody. I think it'll be divisive when more people see it. But I enjoyed it. I like the performances. It's got John C. Riley in it. In <gasps> I gotta build me up just to shut me down. Actually, it's not a small. I would not that small role. I'd probably give him like fifth billing, maybe fourth. So, so, are we talking like Maz Kanata, or are we talking like? Shooting? No, he's he's in more of it than that. He's just he's not in much of like the latter half of the film. He's That's in not a problem of. in Mad Max Fury Road because basically everyone is in this from the beginning of the movie until the end of the movie. Uh, that's what makes it so great, right? It's just a straightforward, we're gonna fucking kick your ass driving cars movie. And we were talking about Furious 7, 
not even making the honorable mentions this year, it's because Bad Max Fury Road just like ruined it. It ruined everything. It's it's so good at car action movies that even a movie that dropped a car or a fleet of cars out of an airplane or drove a single car between skyscrapers kind of pales in comparison to the insanity that was Fury Road. I mean, just think about the shit that was going on in this movie. There was the Doof Warrior, right? The guy playing a car that was basically just a giant pile of speakers and he's playing a guitar that shoots fire out of it. For no reason. That's just a, It's just there and you see him a few times. He doesn't there like... Sh- <laughs> I'm sorry? I was just saying there are cars specifically for like music. They're just drum cars too. Yeah. If you remember. It's like a fucking Mario Kart thing. This is as close as we'll get to a Mario Kart movie. This is as close as we'll ever get to a Mario Kart movie. Yeah, it's like armies of cars. But like also like a deeper message and like, you know, really interesting themes. This movie got ten Oscar nominations. (laughs) How many other car movies have gotten that many Oscar nominations? Probably not many. Probably none. (laughs) Driving Miss Daisy? I wish that's what it was like. Oh, we're going to get the fuck out of here. That's a way better movie. It's like, this is what Transformers should be. This is what Fast and Furious should be. This is what, like, literally any action movie should try to live up to. And not, I mean, not like literally, like, they should all have a bunch of cars flying through fire, sand, tornadoes. But, like,. Just the, the like, no-nonsense approach, the commitment to practical stunts, the, uh, the the lady with the robot arm who's good at guns and driving and shooting. It's awesome. And who would have thought that this, like, kind of be the first sequel that's done with, like, a 20-year gap in between that's, like actually was actually worth doing and was like really really good so that's like it just adding to the accomplishments it's and it's funny because like it seems like this everything should have been working against this movie to be bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) with the amount of time losing your star i mean even when tom hardy was making it you know, he was like, this is fucking insane. This is going to be such a piece of shit. <laughs> like, he, like, he later publicly apologized to George Miller because I, I had no idea this is going to be so good. And can you imagine, like, making that movie? You probably ha- would have no idea what's going on, like, mm-hmm. if any of it was good. Well, just yeah, like, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of it does have to do with just, like, the pace and the editing and the the way it was shot and conceived. Like if you're if you're in the belly of whatever beast it was to be on the set of this movie, yeah, you would have no idea what you are in for. But, yeah, patched it together into something really exciting. The fact that they had to go through all that and then they accomplished so much, I think that's the reason why people have been saying George Miller might be the front runner for best director at the Oscars, which would be which would be hilarious. It'd be awesome. I mean, he did a good job. It just, it'd be like, what? This is winning that now? Like, it's just such a landmark film. If, you know, it could get... I mean, it's already a landmark film, but... The fact that if you get those awards, too... You know, maybe it'll set a precedent. Maybe it'll be like, you know what? We can make blockbusters that are also award darlings. We just gotta really dedicate ourselves to this. 
we can't do a movie that has like 20 characters that's you know that's about the dawn of justice and then call it a, the dawn of justice and have it about the characters having just a, like a really petty fight with each other for no reason <laughs> and then fight another thing god i can't wait till we get more of an opportunity to talk about that and if you like those dusty landscapes but you need to uh you know slow your heart rate a little bit may i recommend the martian it's it's set on mars which is almost like it's just a little easier to survive on than the outback uh so like i guess the easy joke is like ha ha i gotta rescue matt damon fucking again what's wrong with matt damon but once you get over that because he was stranded in Interstellar, also. And Saving Private Ryan. How many Ryan. times has he had to be? Yeah, how many times has he had been rescued in movies? <laughs> how much money have we put into rescuing Matt Damon? You think they're gonna rescue probably him like in that billions new, of dollars in the new Jason Bourne movie? Like they're like, we gotta break him out. <sighs> that movie makes me sad just because they're like Jeremy Renner. You are not welcome to return. <laughs> Even though Jeremy Renner's turning out to be like an asshole, I just feel bad that like he's gonna take over and then they're like no not you uh jeremy renner is not in the martian though so don't worry about that it's just got people like you would tell edgy for and, and Donald comedy Miller. people and yeah and Kristen wig and i mean it's fucking it's not that many comedy people uh, a few probably i wouldn't say sean bean is a comedy person Sean Bean is a good man, though. Like, He's a great man. His role in this movie is just good man. Isn't Jessica Chastain in this also doing she NASA is. stuff? She's doing NASA stuff. Like she's the commander. <laughs> well, but it, it, see, the difference is she's in space in this one. Oh. Okay. And and she's more like the military, like, I'm commanding this mission. She's more like her Zero Dark Thirty role than her uh, interstellar role to be honest even though it is set in space Michael Payne is funny Michael Payne is great in this not a huge role good year for him though he was awesome in Ant-Man maybe the best part of Ant-Man the movie no one saw I saw it and I saw this I don't know if you know that Sean you saw this? yes the did Marsh. it make you feel good about humankind? I had a pretty good time. It's pretty, pretty it's a feel it's a feel good movie. The fun disco soundtrack. My only problem is well, there, there are two minor things because I think it's a pretty good movie. Um, one, I feel like he's way way too good of an astronaut. He can solve like every problem, and he's like, I mean, I guess it's this thing at the end when he's like telling spoiler alert, he gets rescued when he's like telling like those kids like about like. Everything will go wrong. You have to learn how to, you know, solve these things. But it's like I feel like, oh, he's too good though. He's too good at being an astronaut. That's a pretty dumb um, complaint. And my other is going to be that good. It's, it's funny because it's oh, kind of like the same thing suck. as uh, as gravity. Yeah. Except gravity had it even worse because she was like an astronaut, but they're like, we didn't train you at all on how to be an astronaut. Right. <laughs> at least in this one, he's like, they trained me really good to be an astronaut. I mean, he has to survive way longer. But it's interesting. It's always interesting seeing the how he has to survive. But also the fact that I feel like this is kind of like dad joke the movie, and that 
Um, you know, there's, the book is written by a guy who's probably in his 40s, first book. You know, he has a strong background in science, but a lot of the jokes, like, I'm going to science the shit out of this, or I just feel like he'd say a lot of stuff, like, this damn, like, you know, like, this disco music, and, like, what, does a character has di- disco music? What? What, what? what person like this could exist? Like, I don't oh, know. Did they it not just... explain that in the movie? In, in mm. the in the book, they explained that um, the only person, every everyone brought, like, a, a laptop full of media, and for some reason, Jessica Chastain's character only brought a bunch of disco music. No, I get that, and I remember that part in the book, actually. What I don't get is why that character liked disco so much. I just, there's, I've never met anyone like that in my life, and I feel like this guy's probably just, like... I don't know. It just, it just it feels like a weird thing to to throw in there. Hmm. I don't know. It's just a little thing I had. But uh, otherwise, I like the movie. Um, it was pretty suspenseful near the end. And it was interesting to think like how he's going to survive. Are they going to get him? Uh, good soundtrack, I, I guess. <laughs> if you're into that. <clears throat> it has Starman I, in it. I don't know if I like that part about the ending. That was that was like the big departure from the book was they gave it kind of a Hollywood ending, and it didn't. It felt even less grounded than the rest of the movie was. I mean, I liked how workmanlike the rest of it was. Everything is like, I've got a problem, and I'm going to start by just screwing some stuff together and duct taping it, and work from there and see what happens. Uh, and I, I I enjoy that aspect of the movie, and also I like any movie that tries to bring like Star Trek values into a more modern day context because we like what are we doing having countries still we should have the Federation by now (laughs) gotta stop fucking around just like the characters me and Earl and the dying girl they're just fucking around the whole time stupid idiots so imagine if Fault in Our Stars was good Okay, I have no frame of reference, though. That's like multiplying by zero. <laughs> well, that's what me and the dying girl would be. And it's funny, because I, I I read... Just a year before this, I'd seen the you know the, the, the movie, Fallen Our Stars. I read the book. I like the book okay, the movie not so much. And then I read the book uh, for this, uh, and, then, and saw this movie, and I enjoyed it. It's like, I feel like this is a way better, way more real-feeling version of essentially the same story about a kid getting cancer and how other people deal with it and I don't think it's doing anything like you know that like different from probably other coming of age films it's just like a quality coming of age film with like, good characters I like that the two guys do spoofs of Criterion films That's I feel like that's something I can relate to because we used to do such crappy movies in high school mm-hmm. but of like, course they're like it's a movie so they're so like prodigious they've done millions of movies it seems yeah, so that's nice. I really like Earl R.J. Seiler. I believe he's the Blue Ranger now. <gasps> you know that, Sean? It's a gritty reboot they're doing. Are they making a Power Rangers reboot? You didn't know about that, Colin? I'm sure you guys mentioned it to me, but I was like, oh, okay. Oh, my God. I, I it comes out next year. let it sink in. Huh. It Does it have a subtitle next... yet? I think it's they're just, they're just working with Power Rangers right just now. Power Rangers. And it's being done by Dean Israelite, who made Project Almanac. Which which wasn't that bad, so we'll see. I like that they're mixing up, like, a lot of the, uh, 
like, oh, you think, oh, the black guy's going to be the black ranger, but no, not this time. Yeah, they're mixing it up a little bit. Ah, that's <laughs> You know. Okay. But is there still only one black guy? Uh, there's, I think there's probably still only one black guy. So they There can only be really one of each race, Sean. <laughs> they just didn't actually match the races to the color of their costumes. No. It's too so racist. It's a little Sean. less racist. <laughs> it's pretty a racist. A little less racist. That'll probably be bad. I think that comes out uh, early summer. Oh god, now I gotta look it up. I can't believe I'm looking it up. Oh no, that is 2017. I thought, I thought it was 2016. I guess it is a little soon. So it's still a while off. So we can still we we'll have time to dream about what that will be. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like like I said, I don't think it's it's doing anything that different from most of these other kinds of young adult type movies. It's just one that's not bad. And uh, has good characters and is funny and it's also pretty sad. I mean, he opens the film by saying like he made a film that killed someone. That's kind of a, that kind of gets you hooked. It's interesting. I just wish it was a little more popular. It's kind of sh- a shame that I thought it was like oh it'll be like you know this year's Little Miss Sunshine. I mean it's not quite as good as Little Miss Sunshine, but I figured it would kind of fill that little niche. But I feel like it wasn't that popular well, this was a weird one because it like came out of sundance with a lot of hype surrounding it and then it came out and critics were like eh, it's just all right and i i don't know i kind of just thought it was all right like mm-hmm. sometimes the just overabundance of self-awareness in this movie was kind of a bit much like the main character was a little annoying which I guess is sort of appropriate for a teenager who's just all about uh, movies. But He did that kiss-kiss-bang-bang thing where he's like, yeah, I know, I hate it when like stories go like this, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what happened. <laughs> it's like, just, just tell the story. You don't have to keep telling me that you're aware that you're telling me a story in a movie. Oh, no, I no, get but it. It, it can get so much worse. Like, I'm sure it can. I would like, say this is I mean, like, I'm sure you picking this movie and putting it on your list comes from the fact that, like, you have this weird fascination with young adult books and to see a movie that's actually, like, decent covering that subject matter, you know, I, it I get, get it. It so much worse. Yeah, I get it, but not, not everything in this movie worked for me. I think... David... Yeah. I mean, did I ever tell you guys about the scene in Fault in Our Stars where they go to the Anne Frank Museum? <laughs> well, maybe. They're like, but... I bet she would have been a believer. <laughs> <laughs> it basically has that kind of vibe to it. <laughs> it's like they go there and like she's like trying to get up all these stairs and it's really hard but there's like this weird like audio narration in the museum talking about Anne Frank's like struggle and you're like they're comparing her struggle to Anne Frank dying in the holocaust like this is the most pretentious piece of shit I've ever seen <laughs> like that's and that's like a lot like a lot of those adult books are like like they get like that serious like you know being teenagers like it's like the most important time I don't know. It just it, to see one like this that I felt was relatively light in terms of how it dealt with more serious issues. I just and it's still like sad and dark in parts too. Like I felt like it just it did a way better job handling that, and it felt a lot less pretentious than it certainly could have been. Yeah, um, I think you're right that uh, that Earl was great, and also the Dying Girl was great. But going back to my spreadsheet here of notes about movies I saw this year. 
I wrote, this movie should have been called Me and Me and the Me. Uh, <laughs> I guess so bad. Because I guess I thought the main character was way too self-centered in this movie. I guess because, like, Earl has some stuff going on that he just doesn't care about at all. And, of course, the dying girl, he, he makes it all about himself. But, you know, teenagers are selfish. They gotta be. They're growing. They got the puberties. Uh, this movie also used the ship by Brian Eno, just like at the end of the tour did. That's a weird coincidence. A third movie that did not use that song is Mistress America. But it did have a pretty good soundtrack. It did have a pretty good soundtrack. Um, Mistress America is about a girl in her first semester. I think it's a first semester, right? Uh, mm-hmm. In college in New York City, uh, who's having a hard time making a group of friends. She kind of gets along with one guy uh, but what she thinks is a relationship is really just a friendship when she finds out that he has a girlfriend and it's around this time she finds out that her mom is getting married to this guy who has a daughter who lives in New York as well and she kind of on a whim decides to go meet this woman who is a 30 year old who lives like literally in Times Square played by Greta Gerwig and uh, a, a kind of crazy relationship blossoms from there that all leads basically to one long scene in a house that is so funny and good. It basically solidified this movie would be on my list as soon as I saw it. Yeah, I liked it too. I liked the fact that it it, it wasn't a very neat movie. You never really were sure where it was going, and by the time it gets to that final scene, you're like, yeah, I, I really don't know where this movie is going. <laughs> and this kind of captures the messiness of that character and that she's sort of a little directionless. I mean, both both the two female leads are sort of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, didn't quite make my list. Almost did. I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, maybe don't have to spend too much time on it because... A lot of things took up a lot of time last year, like The Revenant. Oh my god, it's so long, but it's so good, you guys. So much suffering. So much delicious suffering. Mm, nom, nom, nom. Just eat it up like a bear. Yeah, okay. Like juicy, <laughs> bloody guffalo butts. Yeah, yeah, guts, guffalo, butts. Butts. <laughs> guffalo butts. Guffalo butts. Guffalo butts. That was like the greatest mix-up of letters. It's pretty good. I did not did not foresee that happening, but I'm glad it happened. Guffalo butts. <laughs> okay. I just want to get it out of the way right now. Do you guys really think Leonardo DiCaprio deserves an Oscar for this? Meh. I don't really think so. I, like at this point, who fucking cares? Like who gets the best actor Oscar? <laughs> I I care a little. I mean, I feel like when I am watching this movie, it does seem like he just wants that Oscar. Like, you see the look in his eyes where he's supposed to have his mind set on, like, getting revenge against Tom Hardy. But what I see in his eyes is Leo being like, I want that Oscar. I'm going to get that Oscar. I'm just, like, screaming voice. out, Oscar! Exactly. <laughs> He's got to make make it through the movie so he can get his. Like it feels like Leo's like, all right, I'm willing to like 
almost die in a movie like some come so close to dying that's how much I want this Oscar what's so good is that Alejandro G. Inarito was like fucking bring it dude you want to almost die I'm going to almost kill you I'm going to go shoot this for real out in the snow and we're not going to use like lights or heat we're just going to use the sun and we're going to do long takes and we're going to make you for real just crawl through the shit and it's just it's so so visceral which is like a word that has like almost lost meaning it's so overused but like if you've ever like been in a situation where you just like, oh, I fucked this up, and now it's fucked up, and I gotta deal with it. There's no, I can't just pause and reload my save here. This is fucked now. Like this movie captures that feeling so well and just draws it out to this beautiful agony. It's fantastic. If I'm being perfectly honest, I feel like it could have been a little shorter. <laughs> like there yeah. was a certain point where I was just like. Okay, just just get to Tom Hardy. I get it. You want to kill him? Just go kill him. Like, there's there's enough suffering and like scrounging around on the ground that like, like they could have shaved at least a half hour off of it. Well, so I mean, this is one of the most complicated things, and I think it's a, a matter of personal taste. But like, if you're going to, it it's the same thing. Like. I appreciate The Wolf of Wall Street more now that I've heard people say that, like, it's a movie about excess, so it has to be excessively long. In the same way, I feel like The Revenant, because it is a movie about um, this person's unbreakable will and their basically endless suffering, the audience has to also, like, either have, has to have, in some way, have their own will tested by this movie being long and just uh, continually throwing obstacles in his path. Um. So, like, yeah, at a certain point, you're like, oh, okay, so he's gonna, like, ride this horse, and it's gonna be okay. And they're like, fuck you, nope, that horse goes off a cliff, and that horse is ripped to pieces. And, like, <laughs> if, if that, you just gotta think to yourself, man, if that was me, I'd just fucking die. I'd just fucking die. You know, like that guy I saw room with. He's just like, no, 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 no doubt about it. I'd be dead here. Forget it. I'm not gonna fight no more. <laughs> but, uh, that Hugh Glass, he keeps fighting. And so did I. That's why I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> See, I didn't have a problem with any of that survival s- stuff and it being drawn out. My problem is just with the character in general. I feel like I didn't really know him that well. I mean, I could get behind him because everything he has to go through. Like, I could get behind anyone that has to go through all that shit. But it's like, it, I just found it weird, like, near the end of the movie when, like, Dom Hogleason is, like, so pissed that they left him behind. Like... Like Leonardo DiCaprio was like, like his character was the greatest man. Mm-hmm. It's like I feel like I didn't really know him that well. Like he didn't really ever say that much. I know he kind of, you know, he had a a Native American son, and there's all those, of course, all those flashbacks. But I, I, I don't know. I just I don't feel like I really got to know him. Um, it kind of made me think about like Gladiator because that's another movie that has like weird flashbacks and a guy that's go through shit. Mm-hmm. But what I like about that movie is it shows. You get a good grasp of who he is before he has to go through everything. Like he's like the general of an army, you know. He's a family it. man. He just wanted to be a family man. He had no lust for power. Whereas Hugh Glass, I mean, you get stuff through flashbacks. You get some stuff, and that's fine. I just feel like I didn't get a good enough grasp to to jump off like before like diving in about who he was. Yeah. No, I see um, where you're coming from, and I think that's that's all totally. 
a legit problem with the movie. It I guess it didn't stick out to me because I t- took it like this movie is about God and like God fucking people up with nature and like it's a miracle anyone ever lived past the age of like six months old because like holy shit you guys there are bears how is that even fair um and then like to the point where I almost kind of wish that they didn't introduce the the Hugh Glass having a son part of the plot where like his revenge is about avenging his son instead of just like nature man just like you left me to die now you've gotta die Uh, it's so pretty though it looks so good I remember there's one shot where it's like this huge like open wide shot of this big snowy landscape and you see a little speck really far away and the camera just like zooms in and in and I'm just like how how close are they going to get and they get to like pretty like, like a medium like shot like they go from like be like a mile away it just i don't know it's crazy it's stuff like that like how long did it take him to, to figure out how to do that yeah. and then the fact that they had to do all this difficult stuff and natural light mm-hmm. like that had to have made it like, take like way longer the yeah. one scene at night where they're they're looking for him by torchlight through the mist like it looks like it's from a space planet I don't know how they, and they, like, I'm, I'm taking them at their word that they didn't use camera lights. That's just the way shit looked through their cameras somehow. It's crazy. Um, and another surprisingly well shot, Hateful Eight style lot in one tiny set movie is Room. It's got to be really important. Not The Room. Don't look up The Room. I think it's this. I think you'll enjoy it in, in another way. <laughs> It'd be weird if someone like went out and sought out that movie based on our recommendation. You're like, I don't get what these guys are talking about. <laughs> Great cinematography. Everything looks slightly off center. <laughs> oh, I could talk all day about the room. You know, there's a movie coming out about that with like Dave Franco, right? Dave Franco and James Franco and Seth Rogen and some other people. It sounds awesome. I hope it's good. I read the book it's based off of. It's so good. They used a film camera and a digital camera filming at the same time. They didn't even use all the film. They didn't use any of the film <laughs> camera. It's so fucking insane. They have it, though. Uh, but no, Room is about um, this mother and son who are trapped um in this tiny room in this creepy guy's backyard I mean it's not an accident he's trapped them there um, and it's about the <coughs> the kind of insane lifestyle that they have because this son was born within the room he, do- he doesn't know the outside world and in fact his mother has kind of misled him about the nature of the world so that I, I guess so that the son doesn't go crazy having never actually experienced it. Um, I guess it... No spoilers? I don't know, we spoiled some things. Um, But it's a beautiful movie about... I mean, not just the suffering, not just this unimaginable situation, but, like, the way we perceive the world and how that affects us. 
it's it's a movie about state of mind, which is weird, especially because it's focused sort of on two characters. Um, but it all it all really worked for me. It was one of the most emotional movie going experiences I had the whole year. It's good stuff. Yeah, but there's there's definitely one moment <laughs> where I got choked up in the theater. Like I don't know if it was the same moment for you, but I don't even know. It's a big spoiler if I mentioned it. But yeah. I thought you said you choked to death. Choked to death. <laughs> but I came back. He's a revenant. I am a revenant. I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill the people who made that movie. <laughs> Cause that movie killed me. I guess it'd make more sense if I killed the people working at the theater. Because I'm assuming I choked on popcorn. Not tears. Oh, maybe. Yeah, tears are hard to choke on. Because they're like spit, but But salty. if you were like locked in an enclosed space and you kept crying for years and years and years, eventually you would drown. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of tears. Take, I think you die before sure, you be able yeah, to cry you'd that much. Dehydrated or something. Well, no, they'd give you a little like feeding tube, like what hamsters have. So you keep rehydrating, but it's so sad. But to you're keep still crying, crying <laughs> while sipping on your hamster tube. Oh, you kind of lost the thread here. So let's move on to <laughs> Spotlight. A movie about the careful crafting of spotlights for Hollywood movie premieres. How do they get them so bright? 20th Century Fox really changed the game when it comes to spotlights. Spotlight has a really good chance of going down as our best movie of the year. Please someone say something about it. I didn't know anything about this story, really, before I saw this movie. And then when I heard this story, I was like, oh, fuck. I had no idea this was such a big deal. And now, now, you know, it kind of changes my worldview. So, I mean, when a movie can kind of, like, inform you and have that effect on you, you'd be like, oh, man, we got to change this shit. Like, that's pretty impressive that it can inform and educate while also entertain. Uh, But also it's kind of (laughs) sad because this isn't the kind of thing that can really happen anymore because investigative journalism doesn't have the power that it did in the early 2000s. So now it's like you can't you can't wait on a story, you just gotta throw it out there whether you should or not. Well, I think even this movie is I mean, the, the easy comparison is All the President's Men and they're that led to a president resigning and here it led to some people being angry and that was and that was already so long ago that we're saying like it, we couldn't even be this powerful like it was already on the way out but i i feel like uh just just the story that's being told here is for me more sort of emotionally powerful than a movie like all the president's men cuz it's like I don't know, you see these characters wrestling with this terrible thing that's going on all around them and they are affected by it and the people around them are affected by it and uh, I don't know it's like it, it made it a very fascinating movie to watch just the process of journalism but also having this undercurrent of how people let 
terrible things happen just because that's the way it is. Yeah, that guilt factor is really great in this movie. Like, every single person in this movie had a chance to do something about this in the past, and they didn't take it. Mm -hmm. And that weighs on them heavily as they're looking for that chance now. I think my concern with Spotlight, and the reason I bumped it in favor of The Big Short, is that I walked out of that movie going, that was fucking fantastic, but now, a a couple months later, I'm like... Was it that good? Like in my mind, it's it's becoming like kind of bland. The more I think about it, am I just like, do I just need to re up the mitzvah? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure it could have to do with the fact that the the style of the movie is, I mean, it, it's very frumpy journalists. Well, I just mean it's not a very flashy movie stylistically, like. Mm. It, it's a very sort of straightforward sort of procedural type of thing, which is kind of what Thomas McCarthy usually does with his movies. It's way more about the characters and the their relationships and stuff. And I don't know. I feel like there's so many different <coughs> things at play here in this movie that he didn't really have to give you a razzle-dazzle movie stylistically. And... I don't know. I feel like if you watch it again, you'll you'll appreciate it. Yeah, I had a good time. Mm-hmm. I also feel like um, Ruffalo's good, and um, Keaton's good, and Lee Schreiber's good, but the other two reporters, mustache guy and girl, becomes the other guy that's not a famous actor. I think Mustache Guy's great. I really like Mustache Guy. I, no, I, I don't. I don't mean to imply that they gave bad performances. I. I'm more like. I don't feel like their characters had as much going on in the movie as the others did. I don't know. Mustache Guy like had to watch out for that house. Yeah, but like all we got was like, oh, I'm gonna have to watch out for that house. I feel like you got plenty. I mean, you can only put so much emphasis on all the characters, and if you're gonna give less, you guys, you gotta give it to Mustache Guy. You gotta give it to Mustache Guy. Yeah, I don't know. Also, this is just like I think only I think this, but how come every movie about writing like barely touches on the writing part? Like in this, Cause, they, cause like writing isn't that exciting to watch. I mean, they're journalists. You're getting the reporting. They're, but I mean, they could have just as easily been a detective movie. I mean, but it's a true story. I mean, you gotta follow. I mean, like I think they just didn't focus on that stuff because it wasn't as interested as interesting as the other stuff they had to focus on. I mean, yeah, maybe that. Maybe that would have been good, but I don't, I don't know. It sounds like kind of a gamble. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking for holes because I didn't <laughs> yeah, put I mean, it on I my list. I feel like it makes it more interesting that they're newspaper reporters instead of if they were detectives because it's like detectives are so used to having their lives on the line, but these are just regular guys working in an office trying to make a living, and yeah, they're doing sort of more important journalism, but... I don't know, it makes them more part of the community, and this is a movie about the community in Boston. 
and I mean the articles that they wrote are the things that we can go find. We can probably go on the internet and read those. This is the like the part of the story we didn't know about, like how they came to these findings. I think that's another reason you don't need to focus so much on the writing is because it's out there. It's out in the ether. You know, now we can get to the rest of the story. It's just that that Twitter mindset of you just need the facts. Who cares about how it's written? <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. I don't know why I'm trying to fight it. Uh, I guess part of it is because I have to keep fighting for Star Wars: The Force Awakens, <laughs> which was your number one, my number one movie of the year. Because of course it was. Like, I was obsessed with this movie all year, and then I saw it and I was not disappointed. In fact, I really liked it. How could it not be my number? I'd just be lying to myself. It's the same thing as like. You know, I think, John, you put Avatar as maybe number one in, like, 2009. <laughs> I regret it, but yeah. It, it's like, you know, you probably knew even then, like, this probably wasn't the actual best movie of the year, but it's like, that's what that year was about. It was about mm-hmm. that movie. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to go pick up Force Awakens on Blu-ray, like, day one. No doubt about it. I can't say that about Spotlight. Are you going to do the digital download, too, where you also get three free posters? Well, they're not, they're not free because you're spending money on the digital download. Do you know about that, Sean? I don't know what that is, but I do have three posters. Do you want three more? <laughs> I wonder if they're the same three posters. I wonder if I'm ahead of the game or behind it. I don't know. The only time what's Wait, are these also, real posters or are these digital posters? <laughs> oh, they're real posters. I hate shit like that. Like when I um, like you donated money, when I donated money for um, when Force Awakens was coming, you know, when they just started production, they had some like deal with like I think it was like the UNICEF or something where if you donated money, there's like you might be able to be an extra in the movie. So mm-hmm. like I gave him this is like years ago. It was like two years ago. So I gave him like ten bucks. But at that level, all I got were digital badges. <laughs> and they were cool, but it's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? It's so it's like a JPEG? It's a JPEG <laughs> of like this C-3PO badge. <laughs> they give you a good amount, but it's like, this isn't real. Can, can you even, is that something that would even work as like a, like a background image for your phone or anything? It's not real. It's more of a square. It's like Instagram square size. <laughs> It's just useless. It's just a useless JPEG. I guess you could find a way if you if you know like printing processes to try to print it onto like a patch, but that's going to take a lot of resources and time. <laughs> and of course, the Force Awakens did take a lot of resources and time, but it was all worth it. That return to practical effects, that return to the original trilogy feel. Uh, it was the first good Star Wars movie since the eighties. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. And I think it did need to be made to put, like, Star Wars in a good place. Because I would be so sad if Star Wars had just ended with the prequels and then that was the last we'd ever gotten. Mm-hmm. Like, that would have been such a sour note to go out on. So even if you have some, like, like complaints about this movie being made or existing or whatever, it's like, no, this is better for the franchise. It's better for future generations. And it's just a fun movie. And better to enjoy it now than... You know, a few years from now, when there are probably too many Star Wars movies, and yeah. Colin's like, "Oh, another Star Wars movie." Yeah, Sean, that we have that text thread. How many years do you think that thing's gonna go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, as soon as Episode Eight production kicks in, what's that text thread looking it. like right now? Do you guys still? 
been a little while. Yeah, I can check the last time we texted. In but, but, yeah, did you continue texting about Star Wars after Star Wars? Yep. A little bit. Okay. Star, Star Wars, Wars talk, talk, no Colin. December 22nd was our last one, so just a little after we saw it. Okay. It's been almost a month, guys. Yeah. Just give it time. Rogue One. It's the only matter of time before we get a trailer to that. We start speculating. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Isn't this crazy, Sean? We'd have Star Wars every year. Every year until we're dead or the Earth dies. It might suck later, but right now it's so exciting. Did you hear about all the casting rumors for young Han Solo? Yeah, they're mostly bad. They're mostly bad. <laughs> but um, there is... I think there, I heard that there's a guy in there who played young Harrison Ford in another thing, and people are like, oh, he's pretty good at young Harrison Ford. So I guess I hope it's whoever that guy is. There's a couple choices that seemed okay. The ones that were bad were the ones that were like, they just picked like the biggest stars that are about 20 something, like Miles Teller. It's like, no, Miles Teller cannot be Han Solo. The worst one is Dave Franco. <laughs> Fuck you. Everybody hates Dave Franco. That's his appeal. Good, that smug look, and his eyes like are always closed when he smiles. <laughs> yeah. What a putz. Just like what Steve Jobs would probably say about a lot of the people around him in the movie Steve Jobs. You're all a bunch of putzes. You better putz on out of here. So earlier when I was like, Leo don't deserve the Oscar, I think Michael Fassbender was my favorite performance of the year because I think he had the most challenging thing to do. He had to remember huge like amounts of dialogue in very like a, a very unique way, and he had to play someone who we all know pretty well, and he doesn't look like. But I feel like he did such a great job of becoming Steve Jobs. You know, he had to get past that hurdle, and he was so good. And and I just love I love the script. I love the format that breaking it up into three parts at three different times of his life, three different product launches. Like that was so unique. And I, I really enjoyed that, and I liked the supporting cast. And um, I feel like I learned a lot about Apple and where it came from and just what Steve Jobs just kind of accomplished as an innovator. You know, like, there's things, like, he was coming up with back then that, like, seemed stupid, but now it's like, well, yeah, duh. You know, like, with the Newton, it's like, you you know, pe- why, why do you need a pen? You have your fingers. And it's like, back then, people would be like, what, your fingers touching a screen? It's like, what are you... What is this slogans run? <laughs> but like now it's like that makes it's so intuitive it makes so much sense. <sighs> that uh, that's one of the great parts of the movie when that's like he's like throws that in Jeff Daniels' face. He's like, What's wrong with the Newton? And he's like, Why you have a stylus? Why do you have that when you got five of them attached to your hand? And Jeff Daniels is just like Mind blown <laughs> That's what he says. He turns to the camera and says right at it. <laughs> and he rips all the hair off of his head. <laughs> Or, like, stuff like how, like, you know, it has to have two ports, like, on the front of this one computer or something. And it, these, these are all these things that, like, they, they seem like, well, no, people want to, like, have a bunch of, like, places to put all, plug in all their cords, put all their programs. But he was like this. He was thinking outside the box. And I feel like that's what great minds do. You know, they, they, they go against convention. And then eventually people come around and understand there's a reason behind, you know, like, it isn't just aesthetics, like... I don't know. It's it, he was just an interesting person, and I think this is the best way to capture his 
his thought process and what he was like and also how much of an asshole he was. Yeah, I think that's the real achievement of Steve Jobs is that it makes him a complex person who, like, you can see how if you're, like, engineers like Steve Wozniak are like, let's give them as many ports as you possibly can. And, and, like, you understand that mindset, too. That makes sense. Like, these guys are trying to build the best thing they can and Steve Jobs is on the whole other side. He's a designer. He's like, this is, I want this to be this carefully calculated thing and it, it doesn't like Aaron Sorkin probably doesn't know shit about tech he probably typed this on a typewriter <laughs> so like he's not passing any judgment either he's just showing you these these two sides of an argument um and I, I really like that it was a little schmaltzy at the end but a little bit yeah that's really the main thing that kept this movie off uh my list cause I I liked it a lot. I I also really liked the structure of it, feeling much more like a play. And I know that movies are a director's medium, but it's nice just once to get a movie where you're like, yeah, the writer is completely dictating this thing. Daddy Boyle is mm-hmm. more or less just a gun for hire with this movie. And I was totally fine with that. It was just, yeah, it seemed like the whole movie was being like, yes, yeah, Steve Jobs is a dick and he's not really going to change because he's continued to be this focused and this difficult over the course of the 20 years that this movie spans. And then at the end, they're like, oh no, he's a good dad. He's a good guy. Yay. And I was like, no. I'm I feel like that it. wasn't that much. Even though I was like, oh, maybe like one scene. I know, but it just kind of left a unfortunate taste in my mouth <laughs> also just like the it's the early 90s and it's like hint hint i'm gonna make an ipod one day you know <laughs> he didn't only didn't say like oh what is that it's like you know and someday that'll be like what smaller or something i can't remember what he said i don't know he probably did say shit like that yeah <laughs> you know john i can't poke big holes in this it's one of the best movies of the year i got very little to work with Yeah, Michael Fassbender. He's got to get an Oscar someday. I feel like he's just not famous enough. I think um, I haven't gotten to, I haven't had the opportunity to write about this yet in my top ten, but I think the fact that this movie failed so miraculously is because one, Michael Fassbender isn't a big enough star, and two, just bad timing. And this needed to come out right after Steve Jobs died, but um, then it wouldn't have been as good. So you got to sacrifice, you know, money for or you know you. you you either got to go with quality or the the quick buck, and they went with quality. Yeah, once again, Ashton Kutcher ruined it for everyone. Once again. <laughs> also, it's a weird thing where like everyone I know saw this movie, but <laughs> apparently no one else in the world did. He was ankle. Oh, I was just, well. <laughs> another reason maybe it didn't do so well is it does kind of feel like there aren't that many slightly bigger budget movies that are for adults anymore which is unfortunate but that's why I enjoyed seeing this movie uh, speaking, speaking of, of yeah you got it I think you know, you know what you're you gonna think, do what if we tried to do this transition at the same time okay, okay one Speak, speaking uh, okay. of Apple uh, iPhones. products damn it <laughs> Okay, you see, I see what you guys are doing. It seems like one person was trying to do, like, iPhones because it's tangerine. 
It's one of the iPhones, but then also mm-hmm. apples and tangerines are fruit. Was that oh. the vibe I was getting? No, I was just gonna. I was doing the okay. same thing. Okay. I was just gonna say Apple products instead of iPhone. It just came out because an iPhone is gotcha. an Apple product. Yeah. It's just all semantics. Whatever. Anyways, uh, Tangerine was a movie I saw in theaters, and when it started, I was like, "Oh, I paid money for this." Yeah, the first shot isn't very good. <laughs> Yeah, and you're immediately like, whoa, this looks cheaper than most movies because it's shot on an iPhone. And then you're like, these people have a very (laughs) distinctive vernacular in the way they talk to each other. And, uh, but from there on out, I was like, well, that's what's kind of great about this movie. It's kind of unlike anything else. It's this crazy story about a couple of uh, transgender prostitutes in this very seedy (laughs) depiction of L.A. and this underworld that is in that crazy city that I could never make There are vampires? Yes. No, there are no vampires. And leather clothes. Uh, But anyways, despite being shot on an incredibly small budget, it's, it's got like this energy and this strange tone that's like kind of it's not really even sad or tragic even though it should be because these characters are living on the fringes of society and are like borderline homeless and like their lives are terrible but at the same time this movie's like kind of funny and quirky and it's like a very strange mix that totally worked for me I liked it a lot too, and I think it did do a good job of showing like what feels like a realistic portrait of what these kind of like trans kind of like kind of like I guess prostitute type people have to like what their lives are like. But like it's real, but it also isn't too depressing, even though it is depressing. Like I think of these scenes where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, they're at this like club where the friend is singing no one's there it's christmas eve they have nowhere else to go but like you're still like because of the spirit of the characters you're still like you're not too down because you're invested in them and they're interesting and they can be funny and stuff and and you know it's funny we, we were talking about how like that opening shot was bad like there's a lot of really great shots though that they somehow capture later on like they really get a capture all these nice pinks and oranges and kind of the la skyline it feels very like like in the shit this is LA man this is up close deal with it you know yeah I mean I do have to wonder (laughs) I do have to wonder if some of those if a lot of these scenes were shot like with a permit or if people in the background of these scenes even knew that they were in a movie like I don't know it's very fly on the wall and I don't know just got to admire it. It's pretty inspiring, too. It's like, oh, I need like an iPhone, that rig, and that one lens you can attach to it. And like, and then like an $8 app. I was like so ready. It's like, I'm going to get all these things. I could do it. But then I looked up that they spent like $6,000 on sound equipment. I was like, fuck, that's the part you never read about. <laughs> Still, though, the fact that they... $6,000 is nothing. I know. I mean, for like a regular person, say. though. But still, like, yeah, the fact that they could pull something together on such a shoestring budget and like... 
this was getting buzz. Like people, they're they're trying to get it like Oscars, and it, it didn't get any nominations. I could have imagined maybe it could have got some things. Probably not my Oscars. <laughs> not my Oscars. Um, not Sean's conservative America Oscars, <laughs> <laughs> where he nominates films like that Benghazi movie that Ted yeah. Cruz name checked in his debate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and uh, God is Not Dead. Those are the kind of movies I like. Uh-huh. The conservative in the war room, whatever that actually is, and that Obama 2016 movie. Oh yeah, end of an era or whatever, or I can't remember what it's called. No, that's not it. It's called 2016. Uh, I think it was just Obama. Obama's America. America. It's Dinesh D'Souza. Yeah, it's funny we're describing conservatives, but I also kind of feel like we're describing the Armand White Oscars. Oh yeah, it's got like vacation. And <laughs> I just love seeing this great nation of ours. Pixels. It's very subversive when it comes to its treatment of the, our consumption of mass media. Ridiculous uh, six. It's like Magnificent Seven <laughs> need to be taken down a peg, you know? And we need one more for the best picture category. Spy. It's like, oh yeah, that was funny. But he like <laughs> describes it how like it was good in like a really weird way. Yeah. Oh, and Mordecai. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I forgot about. Because it feels like it came out like oh, four no. years ago. Oh, Mordecai. Why'd you have to be? That movie kind of disappeared into the shadows of my mind. And something that came out of those was What We Do in the Shadows. A New Zealand mockumentary about vampire roommates. It wants to suck your funny bone. Uh, uh. <laughs> that sounds way too sexual. <laughs> Wants to suck your funny <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. Uh, we don't need to talk about this one too much. It's really funny. It's nice to have a comedy come out that, like, I don't know. I was laughing the whole way through, and I didn't have any huge real complaints with it. It was just a really fun movie that I'm definitely going to watch again. Because, uh,. You know, I like to laugh. I'm such a fun guy. Yeah. Just the funnest. <laughs> if you were a Star Trek character, we'd call you Smiles O'Brien. I don't get it. Is that a reference to something? There's a Star Trek character called Miles O'Brien. Oh. What we do in the shadows doesn't have a plot or anything. It's just it's just funny. No, it doesn't need it's it. It's like, what is, don't fuck around. Come on. Jesus. Has everything got to be a battle with you people? Who are the you people you're talking about? Conservative America. I'm talking about the conservative America. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely flip-flopping here, Shad. He's like, come on, guys, it's a funny movie. Like, oh, I don't know, vampires. In the Bible it says vampires, you know, you got to keep them at arm's length. And you're like, what? Does it really say that? 
You think Obama's America has be vampires? at arm's length? I think Obama's America is run by vampires. <laughs> it's like that Sam Neill movie. Oh, yeah. Blood Buddies? <laughs> I think that's what it was called. Wait, what movie are we talking about? I think we're talking... There's a movie with Sam Neill. Daybreakers. Set in vampire times. Daybreakers. Oh. Yeah, I barely remember that. It's like in the future, pretty much everyone's vampires. But they're running out of blood. Yeah. Hey, so guys, uh, if I take everything that was only on one person's list off and then put Star Wars back on, we have ten movies. Does that sound good? Let's see. I Let's see we have multiple see. categories. I see you have a B category and a C category. What is the difference between those? Uh, Sean, Sean. Uh-oh. The Hateful Eight was on mine and John's list, and you took oh, it off. Oh, okay. And I'm the only person I, in America I, who's seen The Lobster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much he's just seen by people in, like, Ireland. Yeah. And film critics. They liked it. Two dorks. Six, seven, eight, nine. Can I I put Star Wars on? Just put Star Wars on. Yeah, we can can definitely put Star Wars on since it was your number one. Okay. We have ten movies that are the best of the year. Again, we just gotta do do math. Add it all up. I don't like that. Take the averages and put them together. Okay. Make a hypotenuse. Let's see. The lowest ones that are on multiple lists are... Revan and the Big Short are both on multiple lists, but they're not really high on those lists. Is there anything that's on all three of our lists? Weirdly enough, Room. It's on all three. Hmm. Which is interesting. Sean have it at the same spot. Yeah, you guys liked it the same and more than I did. I think you have to make the big short number eight. There's right? <laughs> <laughs> number eight on mine and Sean's list. Maybe not. Makes sense to me. And Annalisa seven because it's on it's seven on two lists. Yeah, so all these I think are only on two lists except for Room. <laughs> huh. If you put Hateful Eight at eight, no. it'll be like it's the eight one. It'll be the eight. Hmm. Well, maybe that can be arranged. We have to. We have to at least pick a number ten. Okay, what's the lowest? Yeah, I feel like most of these are either high on one and then low on one. Yeah, nice job, guys. But mostly you guys. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys see all the same movies? Well, Shane, you didn't see Tangerine, right? I didn't see Tangerine. Okay. I I did see other Marvel movies that Colin didn't see and a few, a few other choices that Colin's like, I don't need this. Like Macbeth? <laughs> Didn't you see Macbeth? I did see Macbeth. Colin was not invited. Unless Colin hates yeah. Shakespeare. It's like, it's so old. Who cares? <laughs> okay, you want to just well. put uh, the big short at number 10? Since it was one that was lower on both mine and Sean's list. And it's John Unseen. I'm, yep. I'll That's see a good... Soon. Everything else everyone has seen, 
So that's a good thing, right? Sure, that's a good thing. Unless John secretly hasn't seen what we do in the shadows. I have. He's he seen okay. it. He talked to us about it once. Of course I saw it. It's got vampires, Sean. Yeah, I know. I've seen it too. I saw the vampires. <laughs> Glad that we both thing saw to say. Good story, guys. But the same time, like what we do in the shadows, like doesn't have a plot really. That's what's good about it. It can be lower. That's fine. It's not even on my list. Yeah. Well, a lot of these aren't on somebody's list. But it's not in my honorable mentions. Okay. So if I put that at 9, that lets us put Hateful Eight at 8. <sighs> mm-hmm. Unless we're not okay with that. I'm okay with it. Only yeah, if when you say it in the final right. countdown, you say it in slow motion. <laughs> it's a bitch after it. <laughs> <coughs> then you'll be a cool guy. Yeah, only cool guys say that word. Yep. Maybe reason. the Revenant next. Cause it wasn't on mine, and it wasn't even in the top five of any of your guys's. Call it the seven. It was like seven and eight. So I say put it at seven. Okay, it's the seven and. It's a little weird that Anomalisa's ended up not going on the list yet, though. That's why I said seven. Like saying it should. Maybe that should have been at seven. That's what I said. Right. So, Anomalies is at seven. The Revenant's then at six. Yeah. And then... Inside Out? Let's be real. How high are we going to go with Star Wars? Number three. I feel like it should at least be four. Uh, I don't right. know. I Whatever. Don't know. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Inside I out. Deal with this shit. Inside <laughs> out. Sean. Whole life. <laughs> you can deal with it one more time on this podcast. Star Wars, so great. Inside out. Star Wars. So inside out. You know, whatever. It's not Star Wars, so he's sure. Are we putting... Okay. okay. Uh, it doesn't feel good, but yeah. About <laughs> uh, like Room next. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it was on all our three lists, but it didn't go any higher than number four. Yeah, good. Okay. I'm fine putting stars at three. Okay. And I'm not even going to fight you guys between Mad Max and Spotlight. I think I'm fine with that being number one. Unless... Even though you both put it at number one, you're having a change of heart. What? No. Doesn't sound like you are. Okay. <laughs> so, we did it. Our top ten movies of 2015. As of, uh, I guess, the 21st of January. Who knows what it would be if this was the 21st of December or even... The far-flung future of 2017. 
They are number 10, The Big Short. Number 9, What We Do in the Shadows. Number 8, The Hateful Eight Bitch. Number seven. I didn't like that. That was a bad thing we did. Number seven. (laughs) Anomalisa. Number six. The Revenant. Number five. Inside Out. Number four. Room. Number three. Star Wars. Episode seven. The Force Awakens. Number two. Mad Max. Fury Road. And uh, number one movie of 2015. Spotlight. If you'd like to direct your personal spotlight elsewhere, may I suggest you point it at mildlypleased.com. It's where we blog about things. You can read our individual top tens where we did little write-ups about our picks and why they're in the positions they are, uh, as well as reviews for pretty much all these movies. Uh, Jesus, I reviewed almost all of these. I think, Colin, you got in there on Spotlight, right? And what we do in the shadows... I reviewed Inside Out. Oh, and Inside Out. Okay, okay. So if you want Colin's take on three of these movies and my take on the other seven, you can get that. It's not too hard. We have a search feature and everything. You can also find us on iTunes. Just search for Mildly Please. That's all of our podcasts, like Stream Police and um, the other one we do, Pitching Tents, in one feed. So you can just hit subscribe and they come to you when we do them. Thank you for listening to this, and we will speak to you next time.